But if you have your Bibles today, I want you to open those with me to the book of Galatians. We're at the end of our sermon series in Galatians called Gospel Freedom for Godly Living. And today we're going to be in the sixth chapter looking at verses 11 through 18. It's Galatians chapter 6 verses 11 through 18. As I mentioned, we are in the last section of our study, and it has been an incredible journey across the book of Galatians, a book that is so deep and rich with theology, but also practical application, showing us how the gospel should transform our lives into living every day for Christ. You know, some people get to the end of a letter in the Bible and they think, well, the, uh, you know, the author has written everything that's really important somewhere in the middle, and the end is just kind of his goodbyes and his thank yous and so forth. But not so with Galatians. At the very end of Galatians, the Apostle Paul finishes on one of the strongest notes that he does in any of his letters throughout the New Testament. In fact, the Apostle Paul is like an attorney giving his closing argument. He's stating his case one final time, trying to to plead with people to believe in the importance of the gospel, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the only hope for the world. And that's what Paul concludes with in the book of Galatians. So today I want to invite you to stand with me as we read through this final section, as we honor the word of God. Of course, if you are able, and I hope that you can follow along with me beginning here in verse 11. The apostle Paul writes, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. The word of God. You may be seated. The Apostle Paul, so determined to make the gospel known that he bears the marks of Christ. In other words, the, the infliction of persecution upon his body is evident to all those who see him. That's the price he was willing to pay to take this gospel message to the ends of the earth because it's the only hope for mankind to be saved. Well, just this past week, some of you may have heard of the Detroit area physician, Dr. Farid Fada who was sentenced to 45 years in prison for allegedly giving over 550 people a mis- an intentionally misdiagnosis of cancer and giving them all kinds of treatment like chemotherapy and radiation, giving people who are cancer patients therapy they didn't need or, or, or more therapy than was required. He did all of this to these patients so that he could collect extra money from Medicare and other private insurance companies. In fact, he received over $25 million by misdiagnosing all of these patients as having cancer, leading to some great suffering, even to death in some cases. One of the reporters said that, 
according to the federal prosecutors, that this doctor is the most egregious fraudster in the nation's history when it comes to medical uh, legal things. Most egregious fraudster. But there was one patient who said something that was really striking to me. He said, Dr. Fada took full advantage of my trust in him and my fear of dying. He took full advantage of my trust and my fear of dying. You know, what a tragic reminder that when it comes to your life, you better place your trust in the right person because you have no idea where many people that you trust will lead you. And that really is the basic message for the whole book of Galatians. That's the basic message. Paul wants all of us to make sure that our trust, when it comes to eternal life, is going to be in the right person. Because if it's not, it's going to be devastating for all of eternity for us to be apart from God in a place called hell. We better make sure we are trusting in the right person. And you know, when it comes to trust and who you trust in, There are really only two options in this world. You can either trust in yourself or you can trust in Christ. You either trust in yourself or you trust in the Lord Jesus to save you. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, that's not always true because what about people who trust in other religions? You're not really trusting in yourself. You're trusting in some other form of faith or another belief system. But if you know anything about other religions, it's all about trusting in yourself. Because other religions will tell you that if you want to get to heaven, get to the next life, find peace, honor the deity, uh, get, get get in the blessings of their God, then it all comes down to how much work you do, how many requirements you meet, how much spiritual performance you're able to maintain in your life in order to have all of these blessings in the afterlife and so forth. So really, even if you follow another religion, it's still about trusting in yourself to get there. That's why so many people come knocking on your doors because they know if they don't knock on enough doors and visit enough people, then they're not going to meet the standards that they feel is necessary for them to get into heaven. So you can trust in yourself, but then you can also trust in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus who lived a perfect life in our place and and died a sacrificial death to pay for our sins in our place. You can trust in his person and work in order to satisfy God enough to let you into heaven and receive all of the blessings that he can give you. There's only two options. And whoever you place your trust in, whether it be yourself through another religion or the Lord Jesus Christ is going to determine where you are for all of eternity. And that is something that Paul wants us to understand very deeply in this whole letter. And that's why here at the end, he concludes by reminding us of these important truths. In fact, you could understand where Paul, where Paul places his trust by looking in verse 14. He says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, I don't want to put my trust or my hope in anything else than the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, here he uses the word boast. And sometimes when we hear the word boast, we think about bragging or or telling others how great we are. But that's not what the New Testament Greek word boast actually means here. The word boast means something that you put your confidence in, something that you, you brag about because you trust in the results that come from it. It's like a person who boasts in a certain mechanic because they always seem to know how to fix their car. 
Or you may boast in an airline because the airline gets you where you need to be on time and all of your bags make it there too. So you're very proud you trust in this particular airline. Or it could be like a a restaurant where you always go and you you know you're always going to have a good meal. So you tell others about it and you're really proud of that restaurant. It's your favorite place. Never fails. That's what Paul means about boasting. So when he says that he boasts in nothing other than the cross of Christ, he's saying that I put my confidence in nothing else in this world, not even my own self, when it comes to my salvation. My complete confidence and trust is in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where we all need to be today if we want to have hope of eternal life. For anyone who puts confidence in their own flesh is doomed to failure. But only those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved in the end. This is why Paul says here in verse 11, he's so serious about this message at the end. He says, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Paul says, hey, this last section of the letter, I'm not letting my secretary or my amanuensis write this. There's a person who often wrote down what Paul said to them. He says, I'm not even letting them write it. I'm writing this last section with my own hands. I'm giving you my autograph. I'm showing you that it's really me who's writing all of this because I don't want you to miss it. Some scholars debate about what he means by writing in large letters, whether it was because of his vision problems that we know that he had, that he had to write extra large, or some even say that he wrote with large block letters, which when in ancient Greek times was used to, to write on placards or announcements. It was big letters that you couldn't miss. Kind of like writing in bold or all capitals today. But the main point Paul is saying is that I am writing in these large letters. I'm writing with my own hand because I do not want any of you to miss this message, which will either result in your life or death. That's how serious he is here at the end of his letter. So at the very end, in this final section, Paul shows us a great contrast between trusting in yourself and trusting in Christ. And those are really the only two options that you have in the world, to trust in yourself or to trust in Christ. And because it's so easy for many people today to outwardly claim that they trust in Jesus, but yet inwardly still trust in themselves, I want to share with you the difference between trusting in yourself and why it's so foolish and the right answer, which is trusting in Christ, which is glorious and the only work that will ever save you. And that's where I want us to spend the rest of our time today, looking at this great contrast that Paul shows us here about the life of the one who trusts in the cross of Christ. Well, I want to first begin by showing you the foolishness of boasting in the flesh. The foolishness of boasting in the flesh. You see, the essence of boasting in the flesh is what we've titled or what we've called works righteousness. This is where you have the idea that you can do enough good deeds in your life in order to make yourself right with God. It's this overarching uh, thought that Paul has been showing us through this letter that the, the false teachers were presenting there in Galatia. Is that somehow, if you want to get to heaven, if you want to have eternal life, that you can just try to do everything that's written in the Old Testament follow the law of God, get circumcised, follow all the rituals, do all of these things enough. And then you will maybe get into heaven if you've done well enough, you know, in order to please God. You know, they were even forcing people to be circumcised as a result of this theology, this false gospel. But the basic message that they're teaching in Galatians 
It's really the, the same message that's being taught in many places throughout the world today, even in our own country, is that if I can do enough good things to please God, if my good will outweigh my bad, then God is going to save me in the end. And maybe that's where some of you are today. Maybe that's what you're putting your trust in, is your own performance. That you feel that right, when you get before God in judgment one day, that he's going to look at you and he's going to say, well, you did these things right and didn't do too well over here. But I guess since you were more good than you were bad, then you can just come on into heaven. You, you've been a good boy or girl. That is not the way the eternal judgment is going to look. That's not the criteria that God is going to go by when you face him in the end. And that's why it's so foolish for anyone to think that through their own flesh, through their own works and effort, they will ever be made right with God. So why is it so foolish? Why do people like this works righteousness? Because so many people in the world are doing it. Well, I think there's three quick reasons I want to show you here that Paul mentions about these false teachers. And the same things apply to many people in the world today. Well, the first reason we see is that trusting in ourselves, it's easy because it gives us all the glory. It's a way for us to get all of the glory. Look what he says here at the end of verse 12. He says, only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Now he's talking about those false teachers who were trying to force circumcision and other works of the law upon the people who are really believers there in Galatia. And he says the main reason, or one of the main reasons here, is so that they may boast in the flesh. So that he says there in verse 12, so that um, they want to make a good showing in the flesh. Now, that's a very interesting phrase that he uses there. Because the phrase, a good showing in the flesh, literally means to have a good face. And it refers to making a good impression outwardly before others. It's a person that, that does all they can to impress those that they are around. And when he's talking here about the flesh in this context, he's, he's talking about the, the false teachers who are trying to look super spiritual in front of other people. They want everyone to, to think that they're right next to God because of all these outward works that they do. They often bragged about how holy they were and all the requirements of the law that they had met. And they did all this just for, just for a show, for a display. You see, they thought that if they wanted to justify themselves before God and justify their faith before others, it all came down to their personal effort to keep the law and their spiritual performance. You see, they long for the praise of others. An example of this is found down in, in, in verse 13, where it says, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. You see, not only were they wanting to make a good face in their own effort, but they wanted to try to convince as many of these Galatians to follow through with their theology, their false doctrine, so they could return back to Jerusalem and tell everyone of how many people they convinced to go this way. They used the Galatians for their own glory. That's what they were involved in. You see, they desired people to praise them because of their spiritual statistics and achievements. And because they trusted themselves, they were able to receive all the glory. You see, this is, this is classic works righteousness. People do all of these things to get noticed by others so they may have the appearance of being holy before God. And they feel like that is going to justify themselves before God. But notice what Jesus says about this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. 
For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Jesus says such a hypocritical life is a characteristic of someone who is not in the kingdom of God. It's all for show. It's trying to convince themselves and others that they're good enough to make it in. And the result is that they get all of the glory. You know, there's people today who often fit into this category because rather than trusting in Christ for their salvation, they, they sometimes secretly or maybe not even secretly trust in themselves. They're always bragging to people about how many times they've read their Bibles through or how often they pray how many people they've witnessed to, or how many times they've attended church, or how many people they've helped, or, or how many mission trips they've been on. They like to accumulate all these statistics, and it really is intended to bring themselves all of this glory. Why do they want all of the glory? Because they're trying to convince themselves that they are good enough to make it into heaven. They're trying to convince all of you that they are good enough, they're worthy enough. And down deep, they're probably thinking that God is going to be amazed and awed at their spiritual performance so that he will let them into heaven. But that is so foolish to think that that will ever get you to eternal life. But that's what a person who trusts in themselves is guilty of. They are after personal glory. But another reason is that trusting in ourselves helps us avoid persecution helps us avoid persecution. Look in verse 12 here. He says, these would who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Now, when you read a verse like this, it makes you wonder, why would these people be persecuted for the cross? After all, in our culture today, it is a very admirable symbol to place around your neck or having a church building or somewhere else. A cross is something that is to be glorified. But you see, in the first century, the cross was something that was terrifying. It was something that was really just terrifying and, and, and no one wanted to be associated with it because it was just the, the most painful and insulting way to die is by Roman crucifixion. But when he's talking about the cross of Christ, it, it represented more than just a, a means of execution. It's the place where the Lord Jesus went to die for our sins so that if we trust in him, we can have eternal life with no works of our own, but all works of him. And you see, such a message was really offensive to the Jewish people because they taught that it was all about works and keeping the law. And if, and if you would trust in someone else, you weren't trusting in what God said in the Old Testament. And, and they really shunned people and persecuted people who followed the Lord Jesus Christ, who followed the cross. And you see what these false teachers were guilty of is that they wanted to avoid persecution. So they tried to live holy lives. They tried to do what God said to do, but they distanced themselves from Jesus Christ. They didn't want to have much to do with Jesus, although they tried to look spiritual in their lives. You know, there's many people today who tried to look spiritual without getting too involved in Christ. They don't want others to think that they're fanatics. Or maybe that they're really deep in the spirit. They don't want people thinking that they're clinging to Jesus and, and following everything that he says. So what they do is that rather than making a, a firm, life-changing commitment to Christ, they just sort of try to live good and, and attend church and, and look righteous at times. They try to make good decisions, but they're not going to get too close to Jesus. Because they know that if they get too close to Jesus, 
then other people are going to identify them as such and they will receive persecution. They will receive mean looks. People will reject them. People will turn away from them. Maybe their friends or others who they've enjoyed being with will treat them differently if they really cling to the Lord Jesus Christ and live according to God's will. So there's a lot of people who who have one foot in the church and one foot in the world all to avoid persecution. That's the evidence of someone who is trusting in themselves. They don't want to trust in Christ because of all that it may cost them or what it may bring. They simply think that they can trust in themselves and still live a pleasant life in the world. But there's a third reason that people trust in themselves. Trusting in ourselves allows us to follow our own standard of righteousness. Allows us to follow our own standard of righteousness. Look what he says in verse 13. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. He's talking about these false teachers who brag about being circumcised, about doing all these outward rituals. But he says, they themselves, though, do not even keep what the law says. Now, this is in, in, in kind of an interesting point that he makes here because while these people were always trying to look spiritual in the eyes of others, their hearts deep down were not interested in keeping the law of God. They didn't really want to do what God said. They only did it so that it may impress others. So, so they sort of created their own standard of righteousness. If we can be righteous in certain times, in certain places, and do certain things, then when no one's looking or we're at somewhere or another place, then we can just really live how we want to. They've changed their standard of righteousness. It's like what Jesus says in Matthew 23, verse 4 about the Pharisees. He says, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. So it's just the typical hypocrite that he's talking about here. They're not doing what they're preaching. You know, there's many today who trust in their own works and they feel that, they, that if they can make sure that they do enough good works, then there's plenty of room in their life for other bad things to take place. You see, the, the person who trusts in themselves says, I only need to do so much in order to please God and then the rest of my life, I can just let it go however I want it to go. They don't have the, the godly standard of righteousness. They have a personal standard of righteousness, which means doing just enough in order to get into heaven. You know, I've heard people say before, I I hope that I get into heaven one day and I don't care if I have to sit in the back corner the farthest away from God, I just want to get in. And you see, that's the attitude. That's the attitude because it says, I don't really want to live for God. I don't want to glorify him. I don't want to live to his standards. I just want to do just enough according to my own standards to get in the door and then I'm fine as long as I'm just in and I don't have to suffer hell forever. That's what Paul is talking about here in these verses. That's why some people, they, they, they live so unbalanced lives when it comes to spiritual things. They will hammer on drunkenness, but they ignore gluttony. They may shame people who are sexually immoral, but they tolerate racism. Or people who refuse gambling, but they don't have a problem spreading gossip. They're living by two different standards. Their personal standard says those things are enough. God's standard says something completely different. And that's evidence of a person who is self-righteous trying to earn their way into heaven. So what Paul is saying is that the person who trusts in themselves lives for their own glory, they live in such a way to avoid persecution, and they follow their own standards of righteousness. And you see, that's exactly the opposite of the way God desires us for, for us to live. He wants us to live for his glory. He wants us to honor him at any cost. 
And he wants us to live according to his standards of righteousness. And I want to tell you that if you're trusting in yourself to make, to make peace with God, you will never have the ability to change your heart to live the way that God has called you to live, to live the way that really pleases him. You will never have the ability. And it doesn't matter how much you work, how many good deeds you do, where you go to church, how often you pray, you will never have what it takes to meet the holy standards of God. That can't happen that way. That's why it's so foolish to believe that you can please God through your own self. So the question becomes, well, how then can we please God? How can we have eternal life? Well, the answer is obvious. Only through trusting in the person and work of the Lord Jesus. And that brings us to the second option that we mentioned in the beginning. It's the necessity of boasting in the cross. The necessity of boasting in the cross. You see, the essence of boasting in the cross is trusting in Christ. It's like Paul said in verse 14, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the, the, words, um, the words that he uses here in verse 14, but far be it from me. It was actually translated in the King James, God forbid. Another translation says, may it never be. It, 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 it proclaims Paul's belief that it's inconceivable for him to, to think about trusting in anything other than the Lord Jesus for his salvation. And I love the way that he talks about the cross of Christ. Now, he's not talking about placing his trust in a, in a piece of wood that's been nailed together, but he's talking about the essence of what the cross means and what it did. The cross was the instrument that, that God chose to place the Lord Jesus Christ upon so that he could die in our place and forgive us for all of our sins. It's God's way of reconciling the world back to himself through the suffering servant on the cross. So the cross changes everything in history, and it's what gives us the ability to know God. It's something that works righteousness will never do for ourselves, or we can never earn. So why do we trust in the cross of Christ over ourselves? Let me give you three quick reasons. Three quick reasons. The first is that only the cross has the power to free believers from the fallen world. Only the cross has the power to free believers from the fallen world. Look what he says here at the end of verse 14. He says, but far be it from me to, to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice this, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul says that it's only through the cross that the world has been crucified to him and he has been crucified to the world. Now we have to understand that the world refers to this evil system that has been under the influence and rule of Satan since the fall in the garden. We know that everyone in the world has been, has been affected with sin. They have had a sinful influence upon their lives. They're dead at birth because they're separated from God by this sin. And not only the, the humans in the world, but it says the entire world is corrupt. That's why there's diseases, natural disasters, there's all kinds of problems, there's crime, there's all kinds of tragedy in the world is because we live in a fallen and corrupt world. And, and the problem for us as humans is that when we're born, we're born into this world with rebellious hearts and a sinful nature. We have no ability on our own to choose or even want to have God in our lives. We're dead to our sins, as it says. So Satan and the sinful world has us completely wrapped up in its grip and that's where we are going to be until we are eternally judged in hell forever. 
That is the news of who we are when we come into the world. But Paul says here, because of the work of Christ on the cross, that we are no longer enslaved to the sinful principles of the world. We're no longer enslaved to sin and death because when Jesus died on the cross, he broke us free from all of that by paying for our sins and by making a way to God. He established an escape plan to get us out of the sinful world, to break us free and to deliver us into the next. And the truth is, is that only those who have trusted in Christ, who have received him, have believed upon him, will escape from this sinful world of sin and death. It's the only way. There's no other means that we can have in our hearts and our lives to get out of this problem that we're in other than trusting in the finished work of Christ. And notice how Paul says that not only has the world been crucified or the world is dead to him, but it says that he is dead also to the world. This means that because of his faith in Christ, the world, the sinful culture, no longer values him, no longer places a high uh, respect on the apostle Paul. In other words, he is now living very different than what the culture would, would have him to believe is good. And you see, the same is true for any one of us today. If we turn to Christ in faith, he has the ability to free us from this sinful bondage that we're in and deliver us out of the grips of Satan, out of the, out of the, the destiny of hell so that we can go to heaven and be with the Lord forever. And it only comes because of the death of Christ on the cross. But a second reason is that only the cross has the power to change a person's heart. Only the cross has the power to change a person's heart. You know, while Christ's death did pay the price to free us from the sinful world, it's the role of the Holy Spirit in salvation that completely changes our hearts in order to make us acceptable to God. Now, notice what he says here in verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Essentially, what Paul is saying is that while there are practices such as circumcision and other rituals and other laws and things to go by, all of that stuff will never accomplish the main thing that needs to be accomplished. And that's to give you a new heart before God. You see, unless you have a new heart, you will never be cleansed of all of your sins. You will never have the freedom and the desire to serve God and to honor him. You will never have the, the desire to want to study and obey the word as you have it in your Bibles. You will never be the person that God wants you to be unless the old heart is gone and a new heart is there in its place. And this is what he means by new creation. He's saying works are never going to get you there. Rituals will never get you there. Going to church, going to counseling, you know, uh, self-help books, all of these things will never change your heart. Only the Holy Spirit coming into your life will change your heart. You must become a new creation. And this is what we call regeneration. When the Holy Spirit comes upon a person after they place faith in Christ to give them a whole new life in him. I want to tell you today that if you've not been born again in Christ, if you've never been regenerated, if the Holy Spirit has never filled you and made you into a new creation, you're not saved. You're not saved. Only the Holy Spirit has the power to change your heart and to make you acceptable before God. This is what Jesus says in John chapter three, verse three. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless this happens in your life, you will never get to heaven. 
Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And I can tell you that if you have been born again in Christ, you will know it. You will see the new nature that you have, the new desires, the new love, the new hope. You will have a different reaction to sin. Not that you won't ever sin again, but when you sin, you will utterly hate it and you will want to move as far away from it as you can. That's the newness of life that comes with trusting in Christ. And the only way that happened was because of what Jesus did for you on the cross, giving you access to the Spirit to renew your heart. But one final reason that Paul mentions here why the cross of Christ is the only thing that we should boast in is that only the cross can give us eternal peace and mercy. Eternal peace and mercy. Look what he says in verse 16. As for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. He's saying right here at the end that if anyone, whoever in the world chooses to walk by this rule, and the word rule, by the way, was used in ancient times to talk about a measuring instrument or a standard like a ruler or a yardstick or something. He's saying that the rule here is the gospel, the the news that only Christ can save you through through his life and death. If anyone in the world chooses to believe and follow this rule, this gospel, this Christ, He says, only then will peace and mercy come upon their lives. Now, peace and mercy is really what everyone in the world wants. Everyone in the world wants to have inner peace, to have satisfaction, to to have your desires fulfilled, to, to feel like you've arrived in some sense. Everybody wants that peace. That's what everybody's chasing for. Some people chase for it with money, some with materialism, some with their automobiles or houses or some with their popularity. Everybody's chasing for this peace and this satisfaction in life. Paul says the only way that you will ever have that peace that you're longing for is through the cross of Christ. Jesus is the only way that you will ever gain that sense of peace. And mercy, mercy is just the, 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 the point about you having all of your sins forgiven, that God will be merciful to you to turn away from your sins. Now, I think I know all of you well enough because I know myself, we're all sinners. All of us have a bad record. All of us have things in our past that we would hope no one would ever know about. But God knows them all. And only through the mercy of God will we ever be able to have forgiveness for our sins. It doesn't matter how many times you come to church, how many times you pray, how much you've read of your Bible, how many people you have shared the gospel with. None of those things will ever have the power to forgive you of your sins. And that's why you can't be saved by your works. Only the people who have trusted in the gospel, who've turned to Christ, will have peace and mercy in their lives. It's the only way. And then notice how he finishes here in verse 16. He says, this peace and mercy will be upon them, those who believe, and upon the Israel of God. A lot of times we see the... the, the, name Israel, we think about the nation of Israel or the Old Testament Israelites, which is correct. But here Paul is talking about not just a certain people in the Old Testament, but about all believers for all time who will be included in heaven in the end. You see, Israel is simply the people of God. In the Old Testament, it was his selected people, but in the New Testament, it's anyone who is joined in through Christ. All believers from all time, from all places. That's the Israel. We are all Israelites in that sense. We are all the people of God. And I can tell you today as as a way to conclude this message, the only way that you will ever be included 
and this Israel and the people of God, the people who will inherit the kingdom of heaven, is if you have trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior. So what does such a trust mean? What does it mean to trust? Does it mean just to believe in the facts about Jesus, to believe that he was a real person, to, to maybe go to church? I mean, what does it really mean to trust in Christ? Well, first of all, it means that you know deep down in your heart that there is nothing good enough about yourself in order to have eternal life. You completely deny any thoughts about your own goodness. You can't get there. It's impossible. That's number one. Number two is that you completely believe that Jesus lived a perfect life, never committed any sin, was the, was the, um, was the unblemished lamb of God, and that he went to the cross to pay for your sins so that his person and work is all that's required in order to satisfy the wrath of God, to turn away from you and place it upon him so that you can have his righteousness and God will count you as a person who is righteous, enabling you to enter into heaven. Jesus basically did all the work for you. That's your claim. But what does it mean to trust in that? It means that because you believe that, you are going to then turn away from your sins in your life and you believe it to the point that you say following Jesus is better and more important than following anything else in the world, including myself. I today am turning away from my sins. I am following Jesus. I'm giving him my life because I trust that as I follow him, he is going to lead me into salvation. No one else will. And it's a conscious effort of yours to, to, to bow before God and give your life to Jesus. And that act of faith is all that's required for you to be saved. And that only comes through the grace of God. God giving us this, not because we deserve it, but because he loved us enough to send Christ to die in our place. That is the gospel message. And I wonder today, who are you putting your trust in? Trusting in yourself? Or are you trusting in Christ? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we could join together as your people to talk about your word, to look at the deep truths of Scripture. We're so thankful for the book of Galatians, Lord, the series that we've been in now for several months that we've concluded today. Father, I'm thankful for the great truth that we've learned about the gospel, about knowing that even though we have blown it as humans, that we have no right to be in heaven, that you spared us through your grace by sending your son to the cross to make a way for us to be with you forever. And Father, it's my prayer today that as we finish this series, that if there be anyone here who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that they might turn away from their sins today, realizing the condition that they're in, that your grace would come upon them and show them the desperate need they have for Christ. And Lord, they might turn from their sins and follow him and be saved. Father, I pray that you would enable faith and repentance in their lives, that you would have mercy and grace upon them today. And Father, for those of us who have trusted in Jesus, we pray, Lord, that you would give us the strength and the grace to live each day for him, that we would share the goodness of Christ, that we would live in a way that honors you, that we would operate our church in a way, Lord, that is glorifying to you. So Father, we would just pray that you would do a great work among us. We give you the glory in all that you've done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.